Hello and welcome to Music Speaks. This is the podcast that dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. For the show, we usually have two co-hosts, myself, Hunter Sagona, and Sean Ramkunis, who is in his very dashing Gryffindor sweater in the Zoom box or Google Meet box. Sean and I believe that many people have a playlist that makes their life unique through music. We pride ourselves upon building our musical knowledge with our featured guests, jamming to incredible music, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, and everything in between. Here's a musical quote for the day. The world is in your hands. Now use it. Phil Collins. Today we will sit down with our returning guest, Skull Smith. Skull Smith is your everyday eccentric composer, buzzing around at all hours of the night, fiddling with synthesizers and synthesizing fiddles. With music regularly playing in his head, Skull has spent the past year devoting his time to transferring this music, some of which has been circulating up there for well over a decade, into the music world as accurately and professionally as possible. He figures he can't be the only one out there who would like it. So without any further ado, let's welcome our friend back, Skull Smith. Hello. Hey, Skull. How's it going? Oh, you know, pretty standard. How are you doing? We're doing good. Just loving Hunter's picture and his background and your all sunny atmosphere and my cold gray atmosphere back. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, we have a lot of songs to talk about today. We asked you. We talked a little bit about what you wanted to do. We appreciate you coming back for the for number of deuce and talking to us about some of your favorite music today. And we're gonna kick it right off with your number one, which is Wang Chung to live and die in L.A. Um, great song. I think the song was really enjoyable. And I have to say, through all the songs that you sent us it made a lot of sense from your other podcast. We got to talk about your musical own musical tastes. And I think it was sort of interesting to sort of see how those musical choices had maybe crafted your own musical sound. Um, so that was very interesting. And my first question about the song is um, what's something that hooks you into the song? Because there's a lot of color. It's very bright. The, the beat of the song is very happy. Um, what do you like about the song? This is one of those songs that hooks you from the very first seconds and just keeps you there. And I think that's that's a very rare quality in songs today. But back in the mid eighties, you know, you could you could find songs like that a bit more easily. They're a bit more accessible. But this one the sound, the instrumentation they're using from the very beginning, it just gets your attention. And it's like you say, very bright, mm -hmm. and it's very, it's extremely well produced. I think it's one of the most perfectly produced songs from the '80s that I've heard so far. You know, it's really funny that you say that because the music video stood out to me. It's kind of funny um, the way it ends. It's just kind of like, you want to do another take? He's like, yeah, why not? Let's do another take. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Um, and it's very f just fun to watch them sort of do that um, with the song. That adds to the really fun aspect of the song. I wanted to ask, um, have you ever been able to cover the song before? Cover it? 
Um, sometimes I, I do sing along with it, but I have not yet been able to find the right sound that you hear in the beginning and throughout the song. I think that's that's a key element to that song. The driving force behind the instrumentation. Right. I think that is a great sort of collectic thing about the song because the song itself is just sort of like this bundle of joy. And I think you, you said it perfectly yourself about the color of the song, which is very bright. How would you sort of describe that to a listener who may have not maybe heard the song before? I would say that I would describe it as a song where every sound has its own identity within the song and yet everything blends together perfectly. Right, right. I want to ask you about the message of the song because the song's title is To Live and Die in L.A. Um, is this a sad song or is it something that you feel like the message is it's if you stay here, you might just kind of end up being here you know or is the message of you want to get up and you want to go out and you want to experience the world i think it's it's interesting because it is very upbeat but right. it doesn't sound to me like he's he's enjoying being in la <laughs> it really it really is a it's not a a pro la song and yet right. listening to the song if you're not in LA, you haven't been there in a while, it does kind of make you want to go there. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think people can sort of conceptualize what LA might be like. Um, I think this song might add to the spunky joy of LA in a way. I think you can definitely test that more than I can, um, which I think definitely plays really well with this song. And um, I'm not sure if I said the full title of the song, but I just want to say it again, Wang Chung, To Live and Die in L.A., which was a really fun song to talk about. Um, Hunter, would you like to talk about some Devo? Sure. And actually, you sort of answered my question because I was going to say, is it Devo or Devo? But I assumed it was Devo. So thank you for confirming that. Um, so my, my first question is, uh, the song is Human Rocket. And as you might imagine, it's a very, uh, it's an image, right? So for, it sort of brings right away, I think most people have an image in their mind, or at least I do of like a person with like their feet out and they have the flames coming out and the guy's going up like a rocket. Um, <laughs> very cartoon-esque. But the, the song talks a lot about like the 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 target right and it talks about like where the rocket's going but they never i don't think they actually mention it in the song uh what is the rocket's target what is what is this person aiming for yeah that's true they don't really specify they do leave that open to interpretation and what is your interpretation of it what do you if you had to guess i think i think he's 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 uh He's aiming for a goal. A goal? He's setting his mind to something, and he's he's just going straight for it, full force mm -hmm. towards that goal. And he is and there's nothing that can stop him from reaching it. That's that's how I always interpreted it. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, based on your, your previous songs, Love and Die in L.A., and being someone who comes from California, maybe not L.A., but what do you, who's in the music business, what do you think someone from that area, L.A. in this case, I don't know where Devo himself is from, I'll look that up as, as you're answering, but uh, what might someone from the L.A. area be looking for? What, might, what goal might they want? Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a bit stereotypical here, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say success, probably in in the entertainment industry. Okay. And in the case of Devo, they're they're actually they've been around since since the late '70s, early '80s, but this song actually came out in 2010. They released. Really? Yeah they they had a this great comeback album called something for everybody mm -hmm. or something for everyone it's one of those two but it's it has some some great tracks on it and the devo guys are all they're all in their 50s by now and it sounds as great as ever they mm -hmm. have not lost and... it they have evolved i'm sorry i interrupted you no i think i think i i think i uh I kind of lost track of the question. <laughs> no, no, I, I, you, you did answer the question. You were saying how you know they were seeking possibly fame and fortune um, and success. But Devo, I just I looked and it said they're from um, Akron, Ohio, and so being you know obviously Ohio, it's not like a hot spot of the music industry or or the entertainment industry. So a group that comes out of there, I would think they'd want to be successful, right? So. Yeah, you know how how do you think they might have a how did they achieve success? I think they 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 had a similar approach back then when they first became successful in the in the early eighties. I think that that's how they would have done it. They would have they would have set their mind to it, and they would mm -hmm. have just gone full force at it. Their their first their. Uh, not necessarily their first, but their their really big hit that they became known for is a song called "Whip It," and I would I would say that that's to get that song popular to get everybody to hear it. They they would have had to set a goal to to uh, get it heard to make sure nothing stood in their way to get that song heard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I think and... the Human Rocket kind of exemplifies that process right and the elect uh, you know the first thing that struck me was the very electronic sound of it and you know knowing your style from the the first time you were on is that something that drew you to it yeah i, I already i was already listening to devo before but when i discovered this song it was it was different but it was also kind of the same. It was the it was that same robotic Devo sound, but it had it had evolved with with twenty first century production techniques, and that really grabbed my attention. Mm -hmm. And now switching gears for a moment into a little bit of a different genre, Sean. I'd say so. Um, the next song we're going to talk about is Thomas Dolby and the Toad Lickers. Okay, I have to say, I've been doing podcasts for about maybe 
half a year, a little more than half a year, and I never thought I'd say toad lickers ever. But I'm glad that that sort of comes up into conversation now. Um, there's a lot to discuss about the song because it's very interesting, Skull, because I had a lot of different opinions about it and I wanted to ask you about it, um, which is what we're doing right now. So I want to ask you about the initial sound of Dolby because it's interesting because when I listen to it, it sounds like a country song. But when I watch the music video, it sounds like a piece that makes fun of country songs. So I yeah. wanted to get I wanted to get your opinion on it. What do you think about it? It's definitely it's definitely the latter in a way. <laughs> but it's it's created in a way that that respects bluegrass. Right. Mm -hmm. so he's very good at that. He's he's great with subtleties. He's another artist who is who he's he started out around the same time as Devo. Hmm. And he's mainly done electronic music as well at least in the beginning and then his sound kind of evolved towards different genres he's very experimental and then this song comes out which he <laughs> in the song he refused to or he refers to it as a brand new mash of bluegrass and techno it's right interesting i but, think it is interesting um, do you, do you mind if I ask you what your opinion? I know Hunter was trying to ask you about what a human rocket is, but can I ask you what a toad licker is? I think, I think in uh, what he's referring to are like people who live in like very rural areas, maybe in the mountains or so, and they're they're licking toads for for. Uh, <laughs> It's like a, a drug, kind of, I guess. Right. I Have you ever seen that Family Guy episode yeah. where they're licking toads and they're getting high off of the toads? Yeah, and they sing, and the, they... Uh, they sing the Grease parody. <laughs> yeah. that, that's great, yeah. That song I came did. to mind as soon as I started thinking about the song. But I, I do want to ask you about the connection to the song. How did you find out about Thomas Dolby and how can we learn more about him and how did you want to get more of him in your life? So Tom's Dolby, I discovered when I was a kid, because he had one big hit in this country called She Blinded Me With Science hmm. in 1982. So that was on you know, the, the hits of the 80s CDs occasionally. So I discovered it that way. And then... I, I started realizing when I listened to more of his songs, he has a great sense of humor. And right. he's, right. he's very, he's very insightful. He doesn't, he doesn't always sing based on his feelings. A lot of his songs are about ideas. <laughs> and that's been, that's something I try to strive for in my own music. I feel like I almost had a little bit of deja vu kind of brought me back to our initial conversation of like have you ever heard of that song before and i was like no and hunter's like yeah i've heard that song before um that brought me back to that moment um and remembering that conversation that we did have about thomas dolby at the time um hunter would you like to take over omd sure so we have omd sailing the seven seas and 
the first thing that, that popped to mind, at least I thought so, was that the instrumentation of it is very similar to Human Rocket. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has it has its similarities. It is very almost exclusively synthesizers and drums. Right, and and you work quite a bit with synthesizers, do you not? Oh yeah, almost almost exclusively. Yeah. Now my question to you, and and this is a little bit of a deviation from the song, but we'll get back to the song. But it's a synthesizer question. Um, I remember I had to take a music tech class and we talked all about the history of synthesizers and uh, you know how it came from like the theremin and evolved into some of the later um, more electric based. I mean, it was all electric based, but um, do you have a particular model synthesizer that you prefer over others? So I usually use digital synthesizers. Mm -hmm. So I will, I, I work in Reason, and for the most part, I just use the the uh, stock synthesizers that they have. My personal favorite is one called the Grain Sample Manipulator, mm -hmm. which is kind of a, it's like the, it's like the Prius of synthesizers. It's a <laughs> synthesizer sampler hybrid. And it, yeah. you, can, you can do pretty much anything with it. It's most of the sounds that I use in my music. About I'd say about fifty to sixty percent of the sounds I use are through that. Yeah, and obviously the synth was a big staple of the '80s, right? Sort of gives it one of the signature '80s sounds. Um, and is there a particular synth that you know that was sort of the the staple or most commercially used at the time? I'm not entirely sure, actually. I'm not sure what no. would be the most popular at the time. I know uh, the uh, the Korg Triton has been around for a while. I, I actually used that in a in a uh, music production class, and it's the sounds I think go back to the '80s. But it mm -hmm. still you can still use it digitally as well. Interesting. I just, that's something I always wondered about because I know like, you know, certain instruments are very period and the synth really, really took off in the 80s, um, sort of like the, the organ was popular in the 60s. But anyway, back to the uh, the song itself. I know it's from 91, so we're a little bit after the 80s. And yet it sounds like something, it's sort of a funny dichotomy. It sounds like something that both could have been made a decade earlier and a decade later. Yes. Um, so my question is like, what about it do you think looks at both eras? I think that's, that is a great question. And I think it's one of those songs that has a timeless quality to it. I think mm -hmm. it's, I think it sounds eighties because we associate music made with synthesizers as being very eighties. But at the same time, it, yeah, it could have been made any pretty much any time from about 1983 to the present. Mm -hmm. It's it's a very the if you listen to the melody, it could be it could be a blues song, right? So it, it's 
if if you take the synthesizers out, I think I think it could the timeless quality could go back another decade or two. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that's definitely true. Definitely harkening back to the 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 blues movement. Um, all right, very cool. Um, and I know now, sort of stay in the same era, but a different genre. I know Sean wants to ask you about some Genesis. That's right. We get to your man, Phil Collins. I know we've been wanting to talk about him for a while. Uh, the song in question is Genesis, I Can't Dance. Um, Phil Collins starts a song, and I think it's sort of powerful to have a single voice start a song. The emphasis of solo sort of really does take over in, in, in the, maybe the first few minutes of the song. What effect does that have on the song? Uh, that he uh, that he's singing by himself. I think that really emphasizes that the song is about him and his point of view rather than a group of people. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's very much about about a guy who who's just you know he's trying to be cool. He's trying to trying to get places, but <laughs> he's very. <laughs> Minor inconveniences keep popping. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why it's one of my favorite songs. It's these are there's just such minor things that end up happening to him, <laughs> but they just keep happening. I I think I think you're absolutely right. And something really interesting about the song is I think it sort of takes a R and B sort of feel to it where it has this sort of call and response where he's like, I can't dance. Mm -mm. Mm -mm -mm. So I feel like in a way, like he's sort of, sort of leaving that out there. And I, when I also um, was thinking about it, while you and Hunter were talking, I wanted to mention the connection to David Byrne. I'm not sure where that might've actually been, but I thought about maybe more of a spoken word in the song. I know it's sung, but I wanted to sort of make the comparison of the way the words are structured. That was sort of like almost David Byrne. So I wanted to get your opinion on that. I could, I could definitely see the similarities. There is kind of that, that early 70s kind of sing-speaking hybrid, like, uh, like in Spill the Wine. I had mm. dreamed I was in a Hollywood movie, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it almost sounded like Vincent Price. I've gotten that before, actually. <laughs> Have you? Been compared to Vincent. Yes. You did, especially right there. It sounded like we were in the Michael Jackson uh, thriller music video. Ooh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also wanted to ask you about the lyrics, if you don't mind, because, um, again, uh, Skull, as you know, I love doing slam poetry. Um, so if you feel like, you know, tossing out a few of these, a few of these, or a few of your own foot stomps, I'm not sure where you are, but if that's how you feel, audience, you feel to do the same thing. Hunter, you feel to do whatever you want, man. Here we go. To sign, beating down, burning my feet, just walking around. Hot sun making me sweat. Gators getting loose, hasn't contacted me yet. I can't dance. I can't talk. The only thing about is me is the way I walk. I can't dance. I can't sing. I'm just standing here selling everything. There is almost an aspect of, of, 
of beat poetry to this, you know, like you could read this, like the stanza that I'm thinking of is I can't dance. I can't talk. The only thing about me is the way that I walk. I can't dance. I can't sing. I'm just standing here selling everything, you know, that sounds like for me, that sounds like early hip hop, but I know he's singing it. So maybe R and B isn't maybe the best connection, but maybe the connection that I'm looking for is sort of like almost spoken, but what is singing, but almost extended talking, right? It is. Yeah. It's, it was actually one of the first songs I started to sing reasonably well. And I thought it was, I was becoming a better singer, but I realized later it's just, it doesn't, it's not as intensive a song to sing because it is kind of, (laughs) you know, it's funny. I listened to this song with such intensity and I, I sort of felt the same way when I listened to David Byrne. So I wasn't sure if you had made that connection before about the, about that sort of that same sort of hip early hip hop sort of like rhyming feel, you know, cause we had, we had a guest on about early hip hop and he said that early hip hop came from like rhyme, but rhyme that made sense to those around them and who wanted to tell their story. So the connection that I was trying to make, because I think this song was written in the eighties, I believe, right? I think it came out in the very early 90s. 90s. Okay. Okay. 90 or 91. Right. So I think even that early connection to maybe, I'm trying to think of maybe an artist um, that I sort of maybe can connect to maybe, um, maybe an early hip hop artist. Um, To me, I, I would say, if you're going to connect it to a hip hop artist, I think of all people, I think Will Smith mm. would, because he, he has very, he had very straightforward lyrics, very, right. There, there was never any ambiguity. It was always very, very literal. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about Eminem, but maybe not right now, you know, but maybe down the line, I'm not so sure. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, early Eminem. I could hear him because he has it's it's a very brutally honest song. Right, it is, and it's it's almost to the point where you can either take it super seriously or not serious at all. You know, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page. And talking about different pages and talking about different kinds of, you know, the thing that we think about when we're talking about handles. Hunter, are we ready to talk about our handle? I think it's probably the worst worst segue of all time. (laughs) Well, I try. I try. Um, uh, Skull, don't go anywhere. We're going to take a break. Uh, Sponsored by our friends at Anchor. Um, We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. And now, Skull, we are on TikTok. Can you believe that? Ooh, yes. We're on TikTok. Oh, my goodness. On Twitter, we are at MusicSpeaks underscore pod. On Instagram, we are MusicSpeaks underscore podcast. On Facebook, we are MusicSpeaks podcast. And on TikTok, we are at MusicSpeaks underscore podcast. Skull, don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, and we are back with Skull and Sean and myself and for part two of his top ten picks. So, Skull, the first one out of the gate here is Roxette. Or rather, it's by Roxette. It's called The Look. 
and um, it's a really a period piece. I mean, it just feels like you could feel it's screaming the transition from 80s to 90s. Um, and what do you think gives it that sound? What really do you think characterized the movement from the 80s into the 90s? For me, the most, I think the most notable element of the song is its comp composition. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is very, it, it, to me, it's, it screams Mixolydian. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think in the, in the early 90s, they started to experience, experiment, experiment more with, with modes. They mm -hmm. were, they were shifting away from, you know, the, the blues scale and the major scale and power chords. And they were going a bit more into, into more experimental sounds. And this one, I think, is... It is, as you say, very much a transition because it still has a lot of these power chords. It has that big 80s arena sound. Mm -hmm. It could have been, it could have also been written in the 90s if you would, if you had changed the instrumentation of it, if you'd made the guitars sound a bit darker, put more emphasis on the bass, probably it could have easily passed as a maybe even a grunge song. Right. And that was what I was thinking. That's the first thing that came to mind was like, it, it really seemed early grunge. Um, not that I'm that familiar with grunge music, but I mean, you know, it's, it's very, uh, it's very iconic hmm. and very much nine. Like people know it's the nineties um, when they hear grunge music. And what do you think, just sort of piggybacking off of what you said, what do you think, getting away from the power chord sound does for the music? Like, why is that 90s music, that very experimental sort of modal sound, what does it do for the music? I think it gives it an extra layer. I think it, mm -hmm. after a decade of hearing a lot of, a lot of a big sound with the same, same chord progressions, I think it really gets the listener's attention now that they're hearing something different, not only in terms of instrumentation, but in terms of com composition as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is funny because the, the decade after that, you know, in the early 2000, or rather, you know, mid 2000s into the 2010s, they really went back to sort of the, the, you know, like uh one, four, one, five, you know, the, the basic power chord transition. So it's funny how it, it took about 15 years and then they came back. Yeah, I, you're not going to see a lot of songs on my list from the early 2000s or the 2010s for this reason. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I like, I really like unusual chord progressions, even if it's just slightly different from what's common. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I don't I don't really like the whole one four five. I I hate one six four five. That's that's probably my least favorite chord progression. Is it? Yeah, it's so overdone and it's and they're just pumping us full of it. Mm-hmm. I it's interesting you bring up coming back because I'm kind of hoping that in this decade 
it in turn goes back to the more experimental and modal sound that mm -hmm. you heard in the 90s, primarily in rock music. Mm -hmm. I, I would say it's probably, I would assume it's going to only because you've got a lot with it, with such a worldwide community. Now you have a lot of ex uh, exposure to a lot of cultures that maybe don't use a, a whole tone system, right? You have a lot of half and quarter tone systems that might be incorporated. We were talking about with another guest, Jacob Collier, who is currently doing a lot of stuff with um, a lot of it, more experimental music. It's not rock music, but eventually that stuff might work its way into the rock community. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that happening. Right, because I mean, rock tends to be a little more, uh, not commercial, but it tends to be more widely accepted, I would say, than a lot of the more experimental other genres. So maybe once the experimental genres start, it, it'll start to trickle down into the more commercially acceptable might take a while. I mean, it, it might take, you know, maybe 2030, we'll see it. But I'd like to think somewhere in the 20, the 2020s. Definitely. Yeah, that would be that would be ideal. Who knows, though? I mean, like after this past year, maybe everyone's going to want to experiment with everything. They're going to be like, that's it. I've had enough. Got to try something new. <laughs> we can only hope because I, I can't take another 2010s. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was something um but about the actual song uh which is again the look by by Roxette they're a swedish group right so uh, you know it's unusual for european groups that are not britain to be popular over here but mm -hmm. of all the other countries i i think sweden has had the most groups come here and be successful right cuz you got abba you had, um, I forget what the other one is. There was another one that was big when they came here and Roxette, who was popular at the time. Um, what do you think of it? What do you think it is about Swedish groups that have made it here in the US? I think, and I'm not sure what it is, but I think Sweden has a very good ear for pop music. Mm -hmm. I think it has a very good ear I think they have a very good ear for for recognizing what's popular and and going off of that and making it making it their own. And ABBA definitely just blew that concept out of the water. They're the poster child for for that. And Roxette they actually had a, an interesting story for how this song became popular. It was a a student heard the song in Sweden and he had it on tape and he got a radio station to play it. Oh. And I think that is just really that's that's just the best the best origin story for a song that eventually became a number one hit. Because it so perfectly describes how the music industry should function. Yeah, you're right, that is. Because it should be based totally off of sound, right? People hear it, they like it, that's what they go for. 100%. Yeah. And as someone obviously in the music industry, I imagine this is something that you talk with people about frequently, the, the nature of how the business should work, not necessarily how it does work. Yeah. We have a very 
different viewpoint from how the labels believe it work. Well, for them, it's all a business. So, I mean, it's, they're not real. A lot of them aren't about the, the, the creative and the uh, audience listener aspect. A lot of them are just very, can we sell and how much will it make? Yeah, unfortunately, that does not always work in favor of musicians. No, not really. They tend to be the last one on the totem pole that are thought about. Sean, you had written a couple of uh, other Swedish groups. Is that what those are? Yes, I wasn't sure if, if you needed some research to be done while you were talking. Oh, no. Well, if you'd like to read them, that would be nice. Oh, sure. Uh, I had uh, some BWO or the Legends, or Brainpool, or the Pusher, those as uh, Swedish groups, if you were interested. Interesting. And I, I wonder how them. many of them actually were popular. I wonder how many were actually popular here in the United States, um, or at least made it successful. Hmm. I think I've heard of Brainpool. Have you? It sounds familiar. Hmm. Okay, well, then that's, that's something, because I, I haven't really heard of any of them, but again, not that that's saying much for me. Um, all right, and with that, we shall close the door. Oh, but before we leave Roxette, um, what about, was it the origin story of this particular song that you, uh, that drew it to you, or did, were you familiar with the group prior to this song? For me, it was it was the melody and the composition initially, I heard mm -hmm. it on the uh, on the iHeart '80s station, and I had not heard it before. But I, I had to I had to keep listening once I heard it, and then I read about it, and it just it made it all so much better. Finding out how it became popular. Mm -hmm. And I saw the music video for it. It's very very period. It's very dark. Very um. That's what gave me that grunge feel that you were talking about watching it. Um. And I was like, yeah, I, I could see this. And they, not that they look Swedish, because they don't, but it, you could tell that it was like a, a more European group. Yeah. Uh, just from their look. Trying to emulate maybe America's style. Right. Yeah. Um, and with that, we will move to Sean and talking about some Thompson. That's right. So we got some Richard Thompson. The song is called One Door Opens. It was recorded in 2003. Skull, interestingly enough, I believe this to be an Irish folk song-ish. Emphasis on the word ish. Um, the guitar playing is really heavy in the song. Um, your thoughts? So yeah, it is. I thought it was Irish as well. Richard is English, I believe. Oh. But they do, it is very, very similar origins because I, because right. I'm pretty sure Irish and English folk do have common origins. Right. But this song, I actually heard it in a, in a movie where, where uh, Rupert Grint learns to drive. <laughs> <laughs> and, the the movie itself to me wasn't that memorable, but when this song came on, I had to know what it was. It it wasn't the scene in Harry Potter, was it? I was just gonna say that. Yeah, he he, he, does, he, does, he definitely does not successfully learn to drive there, or at least does not learn to park. 
Right. So, yeah. I, again, Skull, you know how I am so passionate about my slam poetry and my skills. I will try to give this as much gusto as possible. Our previous guest says, when you do slam poetry, you have to mean it. And so I mean it when I say this. Um, so I'm going to try to do it as, as well as I can. One door opens, another shuts behind. One sun sets and the other sun she rises. Love comes to you in old familiar ways. Love comes to you in shadows and disguises. She may quit you, she may forsake you. Drift away like the phantom in a fever. Who walks your, into your heart of solitude? Who walks into the lair of the deceiver? They say, it was my turn. Thoughts on that? Very serious. So, I think when you when you slam it like that, it brings up it brings up an interesting point about the way the lyrics are written. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They do rhyme, but you kind of have to wait for the rhyme. Mm. It's a it 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 you have to remember what the last what he said in the last in the last few lines. Right. Right. This is a fast song. It is. It's a pretty fast song. I noticed that when I was listening to it, and it did have this very dry, um, driving sound. And um, yeah. I did mention earlier on with the guitar playing, um, this is sort of my last question about the song, which is it's so heavy. And does it distract from the lyrics, or is it just sort of like a way of sort of to keep the energy alive of the song? What what is your take on the very like hard texture of the guitar? I would say that the guitar and the lyrics and the and the percussive sound in there, which to me sounds kind of like a Scottish drum almost, like a, mm. like a bag group. Right. I, mm -hmm. I'd say Richard did a very good job here in turning it into an engine. Right. Where all the all the moving parts are necessary. And they they contribute to each other. They make each other stronger. Right. <clears throat> we try not to use. Oops, sorry. I wanted to say we try not to use the word bagpipes around Hunter. He usually gets a little <laughs> triggered. <laughs> no, but I'm kidding. Um, that comes with a very long story, and we'll be able to tell you that later. For those who are listening, it was definitely a time where we had to listen to about twenty bagpipes play atonal music for about ten minutes. So. Hunter had a little bit of a, you know, a left turn there. With all those lights on, Hunter, with those chimes going off, let's check out your next song with some Enya. Yes, so Enya, um, I, I was familiar with her prior. I knew some of her stuff before listening to this song, but I'd never heard this song before. You know, she has such a unique sound, and she's become somewhat iconic, I think, in her field. To someone who's never heard her style of music before, how would you describe it to them? I would I would say it's very much like you're in a dream. Every mm -hmm. everything she sings and the instrumentation, it all sounds like you're in a dream world. And you're it's a dream where you know you're in a dream. Oh, that's, that's good. That's a good distinction. Hand. That sounds very French. A dream <laughs> within a dream. <laughs> <laughs> I twisted my mustache. Um, which is funny because she's actually um, 
she's Irish, I believe. And, uh, you know, the word that I, that came to my mind was ethereal, uh, sort of what I think of when I hear her music, which is very much in accordance with what you were thinking that the whole dream, like almost otherworldly very much gives that impression. Yes, definitely a great word to describe that. And this particular song called um, Caribbean Blue or Caribbean Blue, however you so choose to pronounce it, um, it, it's not one of her big hits as far as I know, but what made you, you pick this over some of her more popular ones? I think it's, she really captured the, the uh, what would be the word, the essence Mm -hmm. of being in an endless ocean but not not a cold stormy ocean but a very calm breezy pleasant ocean mm -hmm. evoking very much like you said the essence of the, the caribbean yes like what one would expect if you were sort of just sitting on a raft in the middle of nowhere not fearing for your life, of course, in a in a peaceful way. Yeah, it's it's very peaceful, but it also captures the the unknown aspect of where where are you going to go next? Where mm -hmm. where is this raft going to take me? It's not just a song about just relaxing in this endless void. There's a there's a component of what's next that I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. In a in a curious sense, right? Not in a fearful sense, because the unknown yeah. could be fearful. Yeah, it's it's to me. I, I would not say it's fearful, but it is. There is a curiosity, a mysterious aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Right, mysterious. That's a good way of putting it. Um, and for her, you know, she's been she's had some pretty prevalent tunes over the last twenty years or so. Uh, why do you? And I mean, you know, she falls sort of into the spotlight, out of the spotlight, comes back. Why do you think she remains popular? I think we we can go back to um, the same aspect of sailing on the seven seas. I would say Enya's sound it doesn't belong to any particular time. Mm -hmm. You listen to one of her songs from the last ten years. It sounds largely like one of her songs from the early nineties, and in no way is that a bad thing. Because her sound is completely timeless. It, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. It's not specific to any period in history. Which is funny because I I, I think of the sense of t like when we when you mentioned about capturing an essence. The essence of timelessness is in her music, right? That the concept of sitting in the ocean. It's you're surrounded by not, you know, where are you going next? That sort of, I get the sense of timelessness, you know what I mean? And that's like, you know, it's really philosophical, but you sort of get it when you listen to her music. It's very, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Very open. It's not a good word, but you know what I'm talking about. Yes, definitely. It's, it's, it exists in, a, it puts you in a universe where time does not exist. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a good way of putting it.
I happen, you know, so and some people like her music, some people don't. I mean, a lot of people don't like that aspect of the music. I find I think they find it a little unsettling. Maybe even musical limbo. Yeah, musical limbo. That's good. Yes, I like that. Interesting. Yeah, limbo I, I, not I, as in the game, of course. Of course, limbo, yeah. of course, yeah. yeah. Although it is popular in the Caribbean, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. It is. <laughs> Maybe that's why. That's yeah. it. That's, mm. that's that's the key to the song. It is. And uh, well, before we switch gears to, to Sean's next song, what do you think about the, do you think the, not that she doesn't think about the lyrics, but do you think because the sound of her voice, the style of the music is the way it is, do you think there's an emphasis on the lyrics? I think the lyrics are not the most important part of the song, but I also think it's written very carefully to fit within that that Enya-verse we've been discussing. She doesn't say anything that's particularly controversial or something you might disagree with. It's just very, as you say, ethereal. Mm -hmm. And so the lyrics are very carefully written so that they, they flow along with the music. Yeah. And you know that's something that you know when when opera writers are writing their lyrics, uh, they are they pay careful attention. Like when when the Italian famous Italian opera writers were writing the lyrics for their their masterworks, like of Verdi and Puccini, and you know even you go as far back as Monteverdi, um, they took special care to choose lyrics that best fit. The, their the human voice right they they cared very much about how the language sounded not like what are they saying but how does it sound coming out how well does it flow like you said with the music so i feel like that's something that's embodied here yes i think i think there is and there is a an operatic quality to the overall sound it's very flowy it's very but at the same time, very robust. Mm -hmm. Very true. And now we can switch back to Sean. <laughs> um, my next song is Kirby Coleman, This Way, mm, That. Emphasis on the mm. Um, Skull, mm. like we started with the first song, I think really fun. Really interesting. Really just joyful. I've been listening to a lot of Louis Prima lately. That song, that sort of really... I'm not sure if you know the Shooby Dewey song. The Shooby Dewey song. Oh, yeah. It played in uh, Elf. Right, right. That one. Um, and I think it's a great example of maybe not that genre of music, but the style that I think Kirby Coleman brings to the song. The very poppy energy aspect i think that really plays along with the song what is your take on the song and tell me about how you learned about it what's something that draws you in with the song so this is one this this song i heard long before all the other songs on this list it is um it was written for the gumby movie hmm and i don't i don't actually know where you found this song because it is very hard to find <laughs> it is you know it's interesting um there was a 
there was a video on YouTube that had Gumby dancing to it. Yeah, that... and they had a lot of choreographic aspects of the song that I think there's a lot of stop motion. I think that went along with the song. I'm not yeah, sure if, if it was from exactly from the, the the movie itself, but I wasn't sure if you had a, a a thought on that. It is. It's it's it was written for the end credits. Oh, okay. So it take place within the. It doesn't take place within the plot of the movie. It just sings. It's just about Gumby. And they have Gumby oh. dancing <laughs> in just various scenes, just doing all sorts of stuff. He's going right. this way and that. <laughs> going through walls, you know, as yeah. someone someone usually does, you know. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, this was a fun one, uh, Skull. I'm happy that we were able to talk about it. Um, is there anything else? I, I didn't really have a lot on this song particularly. Did you want to mention anything else about the song? So this one I probably heard when I was like two or three for the first time. Wow! So it's okay. been with me for a couple decades. It still, it still hands, it still holds up in twenty twenty. I mean, sorry, twenty twenty one. And it it has it has that a very mysterious sound to it. It's not a song you would typically hear in a movie geared towards children. <laughs> and I think I think listening to that at that age and it not being some dinky little song written in C major about right. friendship or something, you know, <laughs> in, I think that really grabbed my attention right. and strongly influenced the songs I, I liked over the course of my life. I think it's probably possibly the most influential song overall because it it came so early and it influenced my liking of all the other songs on this list in Mm. some way right i wanted to say before i give it over to hunter um it was really great getting to know you more through your music so i really appreciate you getting to let us into that eye-opening experience for for both of us so so thank you for for doing that and hunter's going to take care of the rest of the interview but um I, i just wanted to say thank you so hunter Take off to the last song. All right. So the last song we have here before we take a quick break and uh, then do our last segment. The last song is uh, Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. And collectively, I guess it's the only repeat artist, if you want to say, because he was part of Genesis. And obviously we had the Genesis song earlier that Sean did. Um, do you prefer him as a soloist or as part of Genesis? I actually like his I like his solo work a bit more. It's technically mm-hmm. not a repeat artist because he he was out of Genesis by the he left Genesis in the late 70s. Mm. So he, he was Oh, I see. On, so he wasn't he, part at the time. Yeah, that was that was a uh, Phil Collins singing I can't dance. Right. Peter he's he's very experimental from the very beginning he had this very experimental sound and he at the same time he was also he was also very out there with his stage performances. He was a, a major showman. He would go out there in costume. He would just 
he would just do something unexpected in his shows. And he pretty much, I think what I like about Peter is that whatever he wants to do musically or otherwise, he just goes and does it. Mm -hmm. And and much like in the case with Thomas Dolby, his songs are more about ideas than they are, you know, feelings. And to me, that's something I always related to in music. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely fits with the with the um, characteristics of the other songs that you had chosen for this list, right? Which speaks to you as both a, a listener and an artist, a performing artist. And I mean, it seems sort of in your face, but the title of the song is Sledgehammer, right? And oh, excuse me, I don't know why I'm yelling. Ooh. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> my apologies now that I've blasted our, our microphone with my yawn. Um, so as I said, the in-your-face title, Sledgehammer, what is it referring to? To be honest, I don't actually know. <laughs> yeah? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure what the song, what his intention was, but the way I've always interpreted it at least the the verse parts is that you can you can do whatever you want to do you just have to make it happen kind of mm -hmm. the overarching message of the lyrics he says you could you can have a steam train if you just lay down your tracks mhm mm it's a very very relatable message that that is that still holds true and i think that's why you still hear that song occasionally people people know that song they don't they don't know a lot of other Peter Gabriel songs if they're not familiar with him, but they know that song. Yeah. And you know, I it always makes me wonder then well not makes me wonder. I listen to eighties songs and you listen to the songs from the previous decade. The seventies music is really it really has a certain vibe to it and then the 80s obviously very different the messages in a lot of 80s songs i think from what we talked about in some of the other choices you had are very much like that right like go out and pick yourself up by your bootstraps and and basically do what you want to do if you make it you have to make it happen barrel forward and if you look at the seven a lot of 70s music maybe not by the same artists but i found a lot of 70s music to be uh a little like a little nostalgic looking back at past years longing for the past or or looking at like the hardships of the time this is something i noticed about musical decades it seems like it go it goes every other every other decade it it'll go back and forth decades that start with an odd digit like the 30s, 50s, 70s, 90s, they tend to be rooted in the past and the present and living living in the moment and mm -hmm. occasionally drawing from the past. And decades beginning with an even number, like the like the 40s, the 60s, the 80s, not so much the 2000s, but they they they're more about going forward and experimenting with new ideas, new thought processes. 
And I, I don't know why why this pattern exists or what Yeah, happened it's weird, in the right? half, but yeah, that's definitely the case with uh, the seventies and the eighties. The contrast between them, the eighties are very much about a lot of eighties music is very much about thinking. It's about progressing mentally and going forward. And Peter is a very good example of this. He's all about this type of thinking. He's all, he's very much an innovator and he wants to cultivate innovation in others as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good we're on the same page about that, like Sean said, about being on the same page. It's funny that that pattern exists and you, you see it exemplified in somebody like Gabriel. Um, all right, and with that, we shall take a quick break, after which we will come back with a quick 80s, mu uh, 80s music trivia All right. quiz type thing. Excellent. All right, we will be right back. All right, and we are back with Skull in our final segment here, which is going to be our uh, 80s music quiz, brought to you by Bino, the, which is a website, I guess. Um, so kudos to them for making it. All right, are you ready? I am ready. All right, so question numero uno. Uh, the film Bohemian Rhapsody told the story of which rock group? Was it Def Leppard, Queen, Bon Jovi, or Rolling Stones? Well, that, that's obviously Queen. But I like to make the joke whenever I hear Bohemian Rhapsody, I like to say, oh, listen, it's Bohemian Rhapsody by the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> And you probably get like people like, wait, what? It's it's a great it's a great joke because the double take doesn't happen right away. <laughs> oh, usually, people kind of accept it for about half a second, and then they go, "Wait a minute, that's not quite right." <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. All right, numero due. Who was right. never going to give you up? Oh, you want to do it like this? You want to alternate? <laughs> Is that okay, Hunter? Yeah, go ahead. You ask it. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, okay, my second question for you, Skull, is who was never going to give you up in 1987? I, I, would, I would say that Two questions into this quiz, I'm already getting Rick rolled by Rick Astley. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. All right, Hunter, take it away. All right. Number three. Survivor had a hit with Eye of the Tiger. Which film did it feature in? Uh, that was uh, Rocky. Very good. Which rock? Which Rocky? That's where I have a bit of trouble because I want to say it was the second or the third one. 
You would be correct. It is one of those two. All right. Was it the third? It was. Very good. All right. Congratulations. You're three for three. There had to be there had to be there had to be one between nineteen seventy six and nineteen eighty two. <laughs> when they had a six-year gap. <laughs> All right, Sean, go ahead. Okay. What was the title of Bro's debut album? Bro. Would you like some titles to help you out? Yes, please. Okay. You have Push, Pull, Shove, or Lift. Ooh, bro, this is a band I've not heard of. Let's see. Would you like me to say them again? In, uh, no, it's uh, it's either push, pull, shove, or lift. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with push. You would be absolutely correct. It is push. All right. All right, Hunter, here we go. All right, number five. What are the two Goss brothers in Bros called? What are their names? I, I need some, some, uh, choices i've i've never heard of sure. these guys they the uh the choices are matt and luke jimmy and neville chris and glenn or trevor and simon oh man they're british they are So I would. I'm gonna guess. I'm. I'm gonna say it's one of the la one of the latter two. I believe it's actually Matt and Luke. Really. I believe so, Matt and Luke. Let me do a quick check on that, Hunter. Sure. But I believe Matt that's what. Yep. Matt and Luke. That is correct. Okay. All right, moving right along. Boy George sang for which band? Culture Club. Let's see. That is correct, Culture Club. Okay, moving right along, Hunter. All right. Were the Thompson twins actually related, yes or no? No. Tom, Tom Bailey... Uh, Joe Leeway and I think Alana Curry. None of them were related. No, I, you are correct. All right, here we go. Which all-girl group had a manic Monday? Is it Banana Panorama, <laughs> The Bangles, En Vogue, or Salt and Pepper? That was The Bangles. The Bangles. All right, Hunter, take uh, it away. Question, question for you. Do you know who wrote that song? No. 
<laughs> I don't actually. That is a that is a Prince tune. Really? Oh, no way. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Hunter. Oh, me. Ha, huh. I was staring at the screen like, what next? Um, <laughs> what was <laughs> what was Whitney Houston's first number 1 in the USA? And would you like the four choices? I think it was I want to dance with somebody who loves me. I think you are correct. The other options are I will always love you, greatest love of all, saving all my love, and I want and obviously that one. I believe that was her first one, if I'm not mistaken. Saving all my love for you. Really? That was her first? Saving all my love for you. Interesting. Really? Wow. Yeah. I would not have guessed that. About the same time, then. All right. This one sort of requires a screen share. So hold on one second. Skull, let me know if you can see it or not. Uh, no, Tell me, not yet. How about now? Uh, yes. Okay. Who are these guys? Well, that's, uh, that's Wham. That is Wham. That is correct. All right, Hunter, take it away. All right. Number 11. Wet, wet, wet are the biggest band to come from Wales. True or false? I'm going to say true. And you would be, wait for it. They are actually Scottish. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Clydebank, Scotland, it says they came from. Interesting. Hmm. I didn't know that, actually. I just couldn't think of any other big Welsh bands. The only it's Welsh singer I know is... What, uh, what's her name? The Oh, God. I can't think of her name. Oh, God. She was, but she's the only like Welsh singer that I, that I ever knew of. I'll let, Hunter think about, anyway. I'll, I'll let Hunter think about that next question. I'll, I'll ask you this next question, Skull. You ready? Yeah. Band-Aid was the name of an all-star charity group. What song did they release? Do they know it's Christmas? They do not know. Oh, oh, aha. Uh -huh. That is one of the names of the songs. I thought you were asking me a question. Well, <laughs> <laughs> In it, so I, I wanted to I wanted to be true to the inflection of the of the song. Do they know it is Christmas? That is correct. All right, Hunter, take it away. I will. And by the way, I figured out who it was. It was Shirley Bassey. Mm -hmm. But she's much older. Yeah. Yeah, she goes back I think to the sixties. Yeah, she does. She sang um a couple of the James Bond theme songs. I believe it. She's she has a powerful voice. She does. All right. What is Madonna's full name? I believe it is uh, Madonna Louise Ciccone. Ciccone, See, I, I believe you are correct. Yeah. I like the answer of uh, Madonna Louise Trombone. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny. That is pretty funny. <laughs> 
has this a random <laughs> musical instrument as her last name. Classic, classic, classic. All right, here we go. Who had a hit with Everybody Wants to Rule the World? Easy. That's Tears of Fear. That is correct. Moving right along, Hunter. All right. The Power of Love appears on the Back to the Future soundtrack. Who performed it? Huey Lewis and the News. You are correct. All right. Who's this chap wearing a red cap in his pocket? In his pocket. Maybe a, maybe a screen share might be helpful. Yeah. Let's try that again. Here we go. Oh, that's uh, Bruce Springsteen. That is correct. Hunter, take it away. Sure. Um, who released a song called Buffalo Stance? Buffalo Stance. There are four oh. options if you need it. Yeah, I'd like. Yeah, I'd like to hear the options. Sure, they are Debbie Harry, Annie Lennox, Nene Sherry, or Lita Ford. Lita Ford. I don't know how to say it. Oh boy. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with uh, Ms. Cherry on this one. You are correct. You are on fire. Here we go. Which German group released 99 red balloons? That was uh, Nena. That is correct. Hunter, take it away. Sure. Here we go. Second to the last one. Uh, that's a pretty disturbing picture they have. Uh, which band had a hit with Come On Eileen? That's Dexie's Midnight Runners. You are correct. Correct. Yeah. Hunter and I at the same exact time. Uh, and we get to our last question here, Skull. Are you ready for all the marbles? I am ready for all of them marbles. Perfect. Queen had a 1986 hit single with a kind of what? Oh, do we have four options? We do. Would you like to hear the four options? Yes, please. Illusion, trick, magic, or Muppet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Would you like to do a 50-50 where two of them get erased? Yes, please. Okay. All right, Muppet is gone, and Trick is gone. Oh, I figured it had to be one of these two. Illusion or magic? Yeah, oh man. I'm going to go with Illusion. <sighs> you were so close. It was magic. It was, it was magic. I, I was thinking that... that 
illusion would have been too similar to Joe Walsh's song. But then I also thought magic was not queen enough for queen. So I, I ultimately well, went. <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry, Skull. There was a um, model with a car outside your house. They have now pulled away. We have to return the card to the dealer now. So I'm sorry you can't get the car. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's okay. If I, if I took that car, I'd have to come back to get my other car. So <laughs> a whole hassle. Skull, it was great catching up with you. Please come back. Oh, I will. I, I could talk to you two about music all day, honestly. We really That's do the idea. And I'll leave the uh, closing remarks to Hunter. Sure. Before we just close out, I too want to thank you for being here. Glad we got some insight into your musical tastes to add to your uh, writing tastes from the previous time you were on. So I will just thank you again. I'd, I'd like to thank you as well for having me. All right. Any shameless plugs before you leave? Yes, of course. I've got a, a new single coming out on January 29th. It's called 24-Hour Documentary. It is on all of the streaming platforms, or will be. Hmm. So, Very cool. And where can they listen to that? Uh, you can listen on... Oh, where where do you listen to music? You can listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it on YouTube. You can find it on iTunes, Apple Music, Amazon, Google Play Music, if anybody still uses that. Deezer for our <laughs> European friends. Uh, Claro Musica for Latin America. Right. Very cool. And if you want to hear any of the songs that we discussed today, there will be a playlist attached uh to this this episode on uh, whatever platform you happen to be listening to it on. And with that, I would just like to close out and say thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. All right, Skull, see you later. See you later. That's it for me. I'm Sean Ramkunis, and thanks, Skull, for being here once again. I'm Hunter Sagona, and next time we will sit down and do a discussion with Sean and myself on West Side Story, the Leonard Bernstein musical. Uh, we'll see you then, and until then, keep listening to what you love. <laughs>